Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, like what I said, we're going to be shifting gears here in in our uh, preaching. This past summer, we've been looking at the Psalms and Proverbs, and it's not that I've given up on the Psalms and Proverbs. That is not it at all. But we are going to be shifting gears to be talking about the church. And the reason why I want to be talking about the church, you may or may not know this, you may not even care about this, but your pastor here has a major passion for the church in America. It was roughly a decade ago that I really felt the Lord was calling me to the American church. And, you know, if you've been a part of the American church over the last 30, 40, 50 years, you have seen that the American church has been has been kind of all over the place as far as churches go. I feel like the church in America has been a struggling body of believers for the last several years. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how we kind of got into this place, but as you look at, at churches in America, and when I say churches, guys, I don't, I'm not talking about one specific denomination. I'm just saying the church in America, those who believe in Christ in America, there has been so many struggles over the last many years, and churches have, have really gone down so many different directions. And what I mean by that is that churches are, a lot of churches are just kind of, they exist, but they really don't know why they exist. And they're kind of going down many different, different, different paths, almost. And you know, you have, have probably seen this. We have got churches within our culture that are really trying to appeal to the culture. And what I mean by that is that there are churches that they will look to the culture of America and say, okay, what, what, what does this culture want from a church? So they look to the culture, and if the culture wants to be entertained, then churches try to somehow, somehow entertain them. If they want a rock show, they will give them a rock show. They are attractional-based churches. And honestly, guys, on the surface, there is nothing wrong trying to attract people into church to present the gospel to them. However, um, you can't maintain that. The Babylon Bee, which I don't know if many of you guys follow that, um, I quote them often. It is my number one news source. Um, if you do not know what the Babylon Bee is, I recommend you Googling, take out your phone after service, not now, later. Uh, type in Babylon Bee, but the Babylon Bee is one of my favorite uh, satire news sources, and they had this title from this article in 2017. It says, Pastor firing self out of canon suddenly realizes he's going to have to top this next week. And it says this, Charles, South Carolina, a megachurch pastor, Andrew Vaughn, at Momentum Hills, rocketed through the air across the sanctuary at Sunday morning service, having just been shot out of a giant, giant canyon in a highly publicized stunt designed to attract more visitors. The pastor was suddenly struck with the realization that he would have to one-up the move next week to keep his audience entertained and keep them coming back. And I, I, we laugh about that, but churches that try to become attractional, that try to entertain, they have to realize you can't out-entertain Hollywood. 
Hollywood is in the business of entertaining, and they have billions of dollars to it. And, and like what I said, there's, there's ne- nothing necessarily biblically wrong with that. It's just something that you can't keep up on. And also, COVID has kind of made people realize that attractional churches, uh, that's a struggle to attract people to a place when COVID is here, because most people don't even want to be around other people. So, but you can also see churches across America. Some churches decided to jump on every social issue there is and make the social issue the reason why they have church. Um, let's just say the culture says that we've got a cat problem. And cats are big deal, guys. You know, the culture is saying, listen, cats are being persecuted, cats are losing rights, cats are on the run. So the church will fly a cat flag outside, and they will try to bring awareness to cats, and they will uh, put cats on milk jugs. I know that's kind of a little bit older model. But the church's focus becomes about cats. So their entire focus as a church, why do they exist? They exist to bring awareness to the cat issue that they see within the culture. You guys have probably seen this play out, but I share this because many churches struggle with having focus. And I want us to be looking to the Word of God to say, God, what is our focus as a church? Lord, what are you calling us, your church, your body, to in our lives? Because I just think it's so easy to get caught up with just cultural things and with trying to be the next latest, greatest, hippest thing. And it's like, is that really what God has been calling us to? And as I was thinking about this and as I was thinking about the church in America, I was thinking about the letter of 1 Timothy. Now, you guys may or may not know this about this letter, but 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to Timothy. Now, Timothy is a young, you could call him a young pastor in Ephesus that Paul had encouraged him. Paul, or Paul said, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus, and I want you to lead the church there. And this entire letter is Paul writing, addressing Timothy, and he's calling Timothy to a lot of the different issues that the church was facing back then. And I think it's similar to what we are facing today. As you look at the Word of God, it is amazing how His Word transcends centuries of time. That the issues mankind struggled with back then are the same issues mankind struggles with today. So, I want us to be looking to 1 Timothy, and we're going to be camping out here over the next few weeks as we talk about the church. And uh, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 through 12, and I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we read the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read verses 3 through 12. The Word of God says this, As I urge you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, 
without understanding either what they are saying or the things that which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexual immorality, immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel, the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would bring us some encouragement and a challenge to your church and to your people. Father, we desire to bring honor and glory to you. Father, as we look to your word, may you speak to us today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So, this letter of 1 Timothy, like what I said, was written by Paul to Timothy. And the first two verses we glazed over because that was Paul's introductory words to this letter here. But in verse 3, we see Paul is about to set the tone for his letter here. And it says this, 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, And I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He says, Timothy, I want you to stay in this church. I want you to address some different people that have been teaching some different doctrine. Now, that word doctrine, you might be sitting there thinking, oh man, that seems like a, seems like kind of like a boring word, and you know, why are we talking about doctrine here? What's the big deal about that word? But this is an important word here that Paul brings up to the church. It's vital. And doctrine just simply refers to the entire body of essential theological truths that define and describe the message of God. The doctrine of a church is an important one. What does the Word of God say? Now, if you have been in church for a while, or maybe some of you have taken some different Bible classes or, or different Bible studies, you may have realized, like, hey, pastor, there's a lot of different doctrines in this world. There's a lot of churches that have a little bit different belief systems. And yes, that is true. There are doctrines within the, the Word of God that mankind has been struggling with, and I mean struggling with, for centuries. There are some doctrines within God's Word that God's people simply struggle with. And they have discussions on, and they want to discuss them and talk about them. And I'm not here to be talking about those today because as you look at God's church, the essential doctrines of the faith, the essential doctrines that come from God's Word are pretty much agreed upon from all churches. Even if you look to some of the mainline denominational churches, the essence of salvation, who God is, what is his word that, that is plain to, to us, 
has been laid down for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, mankind is still, you know, discussing and talking about some, I would call them minor doctrines within God's Word that, that I think mankind will always struggle with. Because you will, you will see a doctrine and you will see different scripture for it and somebody will then argue a different point of view to that doctrine. Paul is not addressing that here. He's not addressing some of the minor doctrines that God's people have wrestled with. And I don't think it is wrong for men and women of faith to be wrestling with specific doctrines. I think that that can be encouraging to us. That can be a a real challenge for us. But Paul is writing, and he is saying, "These, these guys, they've got a different doctrine, and their false truths are leading people astray. In verse 4, it says, Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which does this, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul's saying, Timothy, there's some people there. They're going down all these different paths. They're speculating. They're, they're looking at different myths and different genealogies here, and we don't really know exactly what they were teaching, what they were, were saying here, but Paul says, listen, these people are bringing fruitless discussions to the table. These people are arguing about things that do not need to be argued about, and it's not producing faith. It's actually producing more and more speculations, and actually, in, later on, in the letter of 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 7, Paul says this. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths, rather than train yourselves for godliness. So the people here are struggling. And Paul is saying, listen, the doctrine that is within this body of believers is essential. These people have wandered away from the essential doctrines from the Word of God. And then Paul says this in verse 6. He says, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things that which they are making confident assertions. You might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, what is the big deal? There are some people in the church that have some different ideas, some different doctrinal things. What is the problem here? And Paul says, listen, they, they have wandered, and these people want to be teachers of the law But he says they don't even know what the law of God is, but they will be teaching people with this absolute assertion that they are right with dealing with the word of God. One scholar put it this way. Stay with me here. Don't be falling asleep yet. They were an ignorant group of idle telltalers. They weaned the minds of their listeners away from the simplicity of the gospel And in doing this, they missed both the truths of the Old Testament and the teachings of Christ. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, so they had wandered from the law, Pastor. 
Don't we live in New, in New Testament times? Don't we live under grace? Why does the law matter? Why, why should these people even care about the doctrine of the law? Isn't the law the Old Testament? We don't listen to that stuff. We've got Jesus and we've got grace, and we don't have to even care about the law or the standards that God has for mankind. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The church at this time had wandered away from the law of God. They had people in it that thought that they were teachers. They thought that they had authority, but they couldn't even tell the people what the law of God said. But they stood up with absolute confidence, stating that they were teachers and that they knew what they were talking about. And Paul is writing to Timothy saying, listen, you've got people in there that don't even, they can't even comprehend or teach what the basic law of God is. Meaning they can't even know or teach what is right and wrong from the word of God. And then in verses 8 through 11, he kind of points this out, and he starts bringing up some of the commands from God. In verse 8, he says this, We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, verse 10, for sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liar perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God which, would, which has been entrusted. The people back then, they couldn't even comprehend the law of God. And Paul makes this point. This is who the law of God is for. Jump back here, Jacob, to verse 9. Who is the law for? Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. So who is the law for? Everyone. Like the law of God, the Old Testament, the laws that God has set up through Moses and throughout all of the prophets and through the teachers of the entire Old Testament— Paul makes this point. You've got people that won't even, they can't even understand what the law of God is. And then he says, this is who the law is for. Well, newsflash, it's for the sinners. Well, who are they? You and me. Like, like the law of God was laid down for mankind to recognize something within their lives that is wrong. It's set up for us. For the sinners, for the unholy, for the ungodly, for the profane. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, I'm not quite that bad, and that is not me. Read the law of God. We've all broken it. We've all come up short on the law of God. Romans 3.20 says this, For the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law was set up so that you and I will recognize that we're sinners. 
that we fall short, that we don't measure up to the standards of God. And they had people in the church, they had people in Ephesus that couldn't even comprehend the law. They couldn't even understand the very basic, the very simplicity of what the law of God is. And Paul even points out here some of the very specific sins. He says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexual immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liar, perjurers. He's just giving them a brief list to remind them of some of the standards that God has upon mankind. And then in verse 10, he says, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, why are you talking about this as the church? What does this have to do with God's church in America? And I'm, I'm just going to just bring this one up because the, the moment a church abandons the law of God, their doctrine gets thrown completely out the window. The moment a church abandons the law, the standards that God has set in place for mankind, if you get rid of the standards, your doctrine is shot. And I bring this up because I, I, I see this play out within our world, within our culture. This is a major issue that I take offense when it comes to the church in America. If you cannot define what right and wrong is, how can we ever point people to Jesus? If, if there is no sin, right? If we live in this world and our culture, our culture puts all this pressure on us to not make a stand. I don't know if you guys realize this today, but you live in a culture that is so pluralistic and post-postmodern where nothing is right and nothing is wrong. They put these pressures upon God's church and upon God's people to say, let go of your standards. Abandon them. Don't have standards. Don't, don't you dare mention truth. Don't you dare mention that, that this might be a sin. And it's like, churches feel this pressure, guys. And I see this play out because this culture is unruly to that. They want you to get rid of all standards. They want you to throw out everything that God says is right and wrong. And honestly, guys, this has come into the church. This isn't just, oh, you know, pastor, you're harping on culture here. I'm saying this has come into some churches in America. I probably shared this story with you, but when I was in Wisconsin here, a new pastor came to, to, to town, and, and he was doing youth ministry, and at the time I was too, and and I was sitting there talking with him, and I started to realize that I don't, think, I don't think this guy really believes in sin. I don't think this guy really believes in judgment. So I just straight up asked him, I said, listen, do you, do you believe in sin and the condemnation of sin that, teach, that Scripture teaches? He says, no, I don't. So I looked at him and I said, then why are you telling people about Jesus? If sin doesn't matter, 
If you throw out sin, throw out, throw out God's law, which Scripture says it points to sin. God's law, God's standards points to sin within mankind. If you throw all that stuff out, then why are you even bothering telling people about Jesus? If sin doesn't matter, if the law doesn't matter, then you don't need Jesus. But Jesus came to die for sinners. The law, church, points to our sins. It reveals to us how we have fallen short. And I get it. Nobody likes to hear how they've fallen short. You know, I joke about that one constantly. Your coworkers, your family members, if you point out sin, they're not going to like it, right? Nobody likes it. If somebody walks up to you and be like, well, you're a liar. I heard you lie once, so that makes you a liar. But the Word of God and His basic doctrine of the law reveals sin within our lives. And guess what that does? It reveals Christ. It reveals that, wait a minute, if I'm a sinner, if I've fallen short, if I have not measured up to God's standard, God's law, if I've not measured up, then how do I stand right before God? Well, this is the entire gospel message, church family, which you guys, I know many of you know extremely well. The law points to our sin And then it points to what Christ has done for us. All the sins of the world were nailed to that cross. The penalty of your sin and my sin, your past sin, your future sin, your sin that you're doing right now because you're on Facebook and you're not listening to this message, all the sins that, that take place within our lives were nailed to that cross. And what needs to happen is men and women need to become aware of their shortcomings that they have fallen short. Now, we know, biblically, it's the Holy Spirit that does that, but if we as a church ever abandon the simple doctrine of God's law, we're not telling anyone anything. We're useless. The law, church, points to our sin and it points us to Christ. And I want to just encourage us and really just challenge us because I understand the pressures of this world. They want you to not make a stand. They want you to to not talk about sin in this world. And I'm not saying that we should be walking around condemning people, you know, yelling at them. But I'm saying don't back down from the laws of God. God's standard. He's got a standard upon mankind. But praise be to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came and died for the sins of the world, who died for your sins and who died for my sins because I cannot repay him at the cost of my sin. But I just see this playing out, guys, too often within churches where they abandon standards. And they do it in the name of, well, we don't want to be judgy. We don't want to be critical. Well, don't have a critical, judgy attitude then. Just... Let people know God has a standard. But then you let them know that Jesus came and died for all sinners. He died for all the sins of the world. And he was raised on the third day that whoever believes in him will not be condemned. They don't stand condemned before the Creator because of what the Son has done for them. But if they don't understand sin and if And if God's people are unwilling to even mention sin or possibly have any sort of standard, how will they ever know what Christ has done for them? 
This is vital, church family. And I realize I'm on a soapbox. I'm getting all worked up here. But I'm so passionate about God's church and about God's church staying faithful to his word. There are things within his word that I, I get. I, no human being enjoys being, being called out on, right? We don't like when people point out our shortcomings. But it should lead us to what Christ has done for us. And I just want to encourage you guys, encourage our church here, Woodland, in Marquette. Guys, we stand upon God's word. We, we stand upon his simple doctrine of his law, that there is right and wrong, that there is sin in this world. But we also stand on the hope of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he came to rescue sinners, which Paul says, I am the worst of. And if we just abandon that, then we have no message. We have no hope for this world. We're just people that, well, we just want you just to feel good about your, yourself on Sundays. We just, we just want you just to know that don't worry about lifestyles. Don't worry about anything. Just, you, just, you just wake up smiling, and I want you just to have your, your best day today. And it's like, the gospel came for sinners. If we don't recognize that we are sinners, we don't have the gospel. Because the gospel comes for us. Jesus came to die for sinners, which we are it. I'd like for us to stand, and I want to pray for us this morning. And the worship team is going to come and lead us in a final song. And I want to pray for our church here, for Woodland, for us. Father God, I, I thank you for your church in America. Lord, I thank you for the works that you have done. But Father, help us, Lord. Help us to stand strong in your grace, in your word. Father, empower us. Help us to stay faithful to you. Lord, help us to always understand that cultures come and go that the culture's morality comes and goes. But Father, we, we want to stay faithful to your word. Father, I praise you for the love and grace that you have upon our lives. Father, you came and you died for sinners. You died for the world. Help us to be men and women that, that share that message clearly that proclaim your grace and your law together. Father, I praise you for the work that you've done. We pray this now in Jesus' name.